Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tate. Welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me. My name is Danielle Tate. I'm a vestibular physical therapist and joined as always by my co-host, vestibular physical therapist and neuroclinical specialist, Abby Ross. And today we are joined by Mr. Ron Waldorf. Hello and welcome for coming on to our show. Very excited to be here. Very excited. Thank you. We're, we're really excited and we haven't really talked about this uh, topic at all on our any of our episodes so far. So I want you to kind of give a little background on yourself and what's bringing you here to talk about today. And we'll kind of jump into a bunch of questions. Okay. I think I'm here because I was the first to get FDA approval to go from electrode-based eye movement recordings for vestibular function evaluation to using computer video image processing to do it that way. So from ENG to VNG, that's my claim to fame. And uh, I did it at a time when people like John Epley were working on, on ear stones and at a time when the house clinic was working on cochlear implants and at a time that uh, we went from vestibular testing of using buckets of different temperature water that would squirt into a person's ears and a barf container to being able to use some electronics to do it. And um, I think that's why I'm here. It's just, which is so exciting. I mean, to be able to talk to somebody on the frontier of all this developing technology and to hear what, how this has developed, what's been go, like put into this and how, like what direction we're going into, I think is just a really, really cool thing, especially since infrared goggle technology is something that has become the basis of every vestibular specialist toolkit. Now that those mm -hmm. goggles are becoming more affordable and more um, applicable in different fields, I'm really, really, really excited to have you on. Um, some of the conversations that we've had in the past leading up to this have just been mind blowing. Um, so I'm really, really pumped for our listeners to hear about your work and what you have to say and to hear about all the new directions that this is going and it's actually really, really fascinating. Yeah. yeah it, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Abby. Go ahead. I jumped. I in. was just gonna. I was just gonna say this is not something that I had thought about as a clinician. You know, you just use the technology. I never thought. You know, who's the guy that did all this anyway? Uh huh. <laughs> so cool to see you. You know, face yeah. to face and learn from you. Well, I didn't realize until I started to realize really what it was all about because it was just an everyday thing for me i just was on a path and i guess we'll talk about the path a little bit you know i'm really glad it's happening because for the last like month i'm making notes i'm writing you know it's like an autobiography <laughs> and uh and then you realize well yeah i guess uh, it has made somewhat of a difference so and I, uh, people who know me know I'm, uh, it's rare you talk to people that understand the word vestibular, the word nystagmus, where you don't have to explain it all. And that's unique to me because most of the time in, you know, in, in uh, the last 20 years, I'm talking to business people and, you know, selling VNG stuff and doing that. And just to talk about the science, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm very excited about that opportunity. Well, listen, so, from from my like just my personal perspective, 
Um, I've been practicing for close to six years now, seven years. And in that time, because of infrared goggle technology, I was able to assist patients in getting uh, three different patients getting diagnosed with acoustic neuromas that were missed by traditional mm -hmm. imaging and other doctors. So you, that technology made all the difference just in those three people's lives. Now imagine that across every vestibular specialist across mm -hmm. the world and how much this technology has really driven to change the field and help patients uh, at least find some help in the disorders that have been so difficult to quantify and study. So this is huge, <laughs> which you uh, know. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm probably blushing. It's hard to tell because I'm ruddy all the time, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. So here's how it happened. Here's how it happened. Uh, I, I was in college between 1965 and 1969 at the University of Florida. And I was a, a, a frat guy. I, I thought I wanted to go into medicine. I was mediocre at, at best. Um, but my senior year, I got to do some research, honors research program, graduated with honors. And the honors research program, although it involved honeybees and, and so on, it was the first time I was outside a book. And for me, that was a seminal experience that led me to, at that time in Florida, the space program, um, it led me to the College of Medicine at the University of Florida, the Department of Physiology, and to try to find somebody that was doing something relevant to space research. Well, as it turned out, um, there was a doctor in ear, nose, and throat surgery, Dr. Robert Kohut, uh, who besides being a great clinician, I think at one time he was president of the American Academy and so on and so forth. Uh, he had an NIH grant to study the utricle and the saccule. And we knew, you know, a lot about the semicircular canals and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, people that really understood linear acceleration and what we had to do to really test that out. And it was important to the space program. It uh, gave me the opportunity of learning something that had my passion. And so I started to learn about the inner ear at the University of Florida in graduate school. Um, I was fortunate that after the first year, I got a scholarship to NASA's biospace technology training program. Um, I sort of wanted to be a mission specialist. I wanted to go up. I wanted to learn something and try to do that. Especially the more I learned about the ear, the more you go, but I'll never experience zero gravity. It was hypothetical to me. Um, there was no quote, anechoic chamber for gravity. Um, so I got to go to Wallops Island, Virginia, which is uh, uh, by Chincoteague and Assateague with the Wild Ponies, Virginia, and learn some space medicine kind of stuff and telemetry. And it, it was a pretty techie thing. And I was still learning how you get eye movements down from a little rocket and so on. Hmm. So then I, I come back to Florida and 
my my major professor because I was on a PhD program, Robert Kohut. He became uh, chairman of the Department of Surgery, Ear, Nose, and Throat for the University of California, Irvine. So he was going to take that position and go from Florida to UC Irvine. And he offered me a job to continue to do his research and do it out in California. Product of the 70s, it was like, duh, yeah, absolutely. Let's, <laughs> you know. No no, no. And uh, his research had, you know, it, it was a special colony of cochlear saccular. She, she generated, uh, you know, cats. We had to hire planes and fly them out. And uh, funny thing is, no one thought they'd get airsick. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes, they did. And we had to make a stop on the way. And, you know, oh, it was terrible. Anyhow, got out to California and set up the research lab with Dr. Kohut at UC Irvine. And it was at UC Irvine, we're doing the research, and the question came up, how do we see the eyes in the dark so we don't have to worry about fixation? So that's, that's how the idea started. At the time, cameras, uh, you know, th they were heavy. They were like 25 pounds. Uh, you know, it's not this digital stuff. They were tube stuff and they were heavy. Um, our research had it mounted on, it was like a 70 foot tall elevator, if you will, so that we could, because when you want to study the utricle and saccule, it's linear. You got to go in the direction of gravity. You can't do it horizontal kind of thing. So, so the only thing that existed was infrared movie film at the time. So we knew how to hook it all up and everything, but it took you two days to develop the film. And with the vestibular system, you want to adjust things instantly or look instantly. So my quest became, okay, if it's not infrared movie film, what could it be? And infrared video was just starting to come out. They were just starting to understand it from, uh, like I was on floors with sniper scopes and looking, uh, you, you know, military stuff, but the video uh, gave the opportunity to say, this looks like this might work. Huh. And then, so that's how it started. So, you know, we could take a break there and, you know, I can keep going, you know, that's how it started. Yeah. I've so, got it. Go ahead, Abby. Okay, I'll go. I got just one comment. You mentioned you were mediocre. Well, just from the beginning of the story, I know that was a lie. You are well <laughs> mediocre, Ron. No, no, no. It's uh, if you set the bar low, you always achieve it. You know, it's it, it's it, I'm, I'm getting used to that as I get older. So thank you. Let's back yeah. up a little bit, I because we had covered this when we were talking um, before we started recording, but. Previously, for us, you know, new clinicians in the last 10 years coming into the field, um, eye motion and eye movements was measured by using electrodes to look at the um, electrical activity of the muscles around the eye, correct? Almost. Okay. Explain that a little bit more in depth. Yeah, no, no, no. It's close. That's close. It, the reason we can record is because the eye is a dipole. The back of the eye compared to the front of the eye metabolically is about a half a millivolt. We can boost that signal through the muscles. 
So it's not the muscles themselves generating the signal. It truly is the eye and the dipole. That dipole is in the axis of vision, okay. meaning, meaning no matter how many electrodes you put around the eye, you'll never see the torsion. That's, that's and, what we wanted to get at. I, you were, right. the, that form was looking at eye movements, but only in certain planes. And it was not being able to record or track any sort of torsional nystagmus that we might see in our vestibular patients. Right. And, and my story, if we stay linear, what you said at the beginning about the inferior vestibular tumors and so on and so forth, it was the house clinic, which maybe we'll talk about, their quest to be able to um, research what they called the minimal caloric test, which was done to try to stimulate the inferior vestibular nerve, but they didn't know a way to look at the eye in darkness. Even though they they had uh, invented basically stereo operating microscopes for ear surgery and so on, and they had video and camera people, they didn't understand the infrared nature of the deal. So when they called me, that's what took me back into medicine because I had taken what I had just talked to you about. I took a break for like, I don't know, five years I was sort of done with animal research and the whole deal. My boss then moved to Bowman Gray. I was living in a very hip part of LA and I thought, hey, I'll just sort of see what goes on. And, but so anyhow. I guess another question I have regarding all of this is how did we know that nystagmus increased when fixation was removed without the use of infrared? Could that be reflected in the uh, initial um, oh, yeah. Testing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What we did was um, you come in for your regular standard uh, positionals and calorics. OK, we put the electrodes on you calibrate each pair, you, you know, make sure we knew how much pen deflection was, you know, 20 degrees to the right, 20 degrees to the left, so on and so forth. And if I want to make sure that you're not going to fixate, I tell you, close your eyes. So that, yes, so that I, answers my question. So I test you with your eyes closed, and then when I want to fix it, you open your eyes. And now we've reached the point where we actually want to see it. We want to be able to watch how the eye moves, and hence right. the, the introduction of the infrared technology. Right. So um, uh, at first, the cameras were still big, and there's no way that I can take a football helmet, put two cameras on it, take a 65-year-old BPPV patient, <laughs> put him supine minus 30, and think that that's going to be comfortable and plausible and, you know. Yeah, not happening. Question. So when, Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go on. So to start, very early on, I was able to show, you know, infrared and video. We can get there. Everything seems to be working. What wasn't working was the form factor. It, cameras were too heavy. Vestibular patients, you got to turn them now. You can't wait. Um, things like that. So when it first started, they weren't goggles as you know goggles. I had fiber optic goggles, meaning the cameras. I put my camera systems on operating microscopes because they had the most degrees of freedom. You can almost make them float if you set everything right. So I could move the heavy camera as I flip the person to right ear down. 
the goggle, the fiber optic bundle gave me the flexibility to make that move on the patient without the weight of anything being on the patient. But I had to wait probably 15 years until people invented smaller cameras where I could take away the fiber optic bundle and put the camera on the goggle, which is where we wanted to go. Wow. Question. Now, you know, life as we know it in clinic, we've got infrared goggles, right? But back in the 70s or whatever decade this was, were physician offices using electrodes or was this only in lab? Uh, before infrared video became FDA approved, everybody was using electrodes because you had nothing to replace it. Okay. Okay. Then as we got FDA approval, um, just like with any new technology, especially this was, uh, you know, even by FDA standards, new technology, that's why it was granted. I had to prove that my eye movement output was the same as electrodes. So they call it substantial equivalency. Okay, well, that, you, you know, we knew we could prove that. And it was being receptive to the high-end places where I'm working. And so uh, then you start trying to convince, uh, you know, early adopter doctors and then eventually, hey, I can make more money by this CPT code than that, you, you know, and it, it trickles down, you know. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, continue us on the path then. So now we've got infrared video introduced we've got smaller cameras introduced how right. are you on the 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 timeline here how are we still getting to where we are now okay so places like the house here clinic and others uh even other companies uh at first i was granted a patent on infrared eye tracking um from the U.S. Patent Office. Well, it turns out one of our competitors says, hey, we found this East German Space Magazine article on, on them using infrareds with their early astronauts. And indeed, it, there was, you know, yes, there was something. I never saw it. Okay. So at first I thought, oh, bummer, what's going to happen? It just meant no one owned infrared video eye tracking. And the best company that makes it at the best price with the best customer service will quote win. Well, what won, at least for me, is it changed the paradigm of what you all do. And that's sort of a neat legacy to have if you're going to study vestibular stuff like I have. So, um, uh, you know, that's neat to know. Now, what it's done for me besides, you know, eventually many companies, as you know, make it uh, – uh, and, and so on and so forth. But for me, what became unique is I'm hearing on the radio one night because, believe it or not, I got tinnitus. I've had it my whole life. I sleep with, uh, you know, something in my ears all the time. It's what I do. And at the time, at that time of my life, if I ever heard the word eyes or vestibular, even in my sleep, probably, it would wake me up. So one night, I'm, I'm hearing news radio, and I hear about cops who are looking at eyes of suspected drunk drivers. Wakes me up. Call the radio station, find out who produced the piece, 
get to the producer. Producer turns me on to doctors in Ohio that are doing some studies with a cop from the Los Angeles Police Department 10 minutes away from where I live. I make contact with the people in Los Angeles that are doing this for the federal government, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Back in the 70s, they started a program, how do cops evaluate impaired drivers quickly, as accurately as we can, on highways at night and, you know, the whole deal. And they evaluated all different physiologies and it came down to where the sense of balance is pretty good. Because uh, almost every drug in the PDR, you'll see if you take too much of it, you'll see the word dizzy. And one of the reasons being, and it's a term um, that I learned early on, the sense of balance is a system of silent elegance. You're born with it. It's working when you're born. Re you know, it's going. It's not even ready to go. It's going. I just came back, as you all know, I was with my uh, second granddaughter, you know, and I went back to some of my uh, readings and so on. <laughs> in the newborn, it's the same size as in me. That's really cool. <laughs> For anyone just listening to the episode, he's got a true to size model of the vestibular apparatus he's showing and it's tiny. <laughs> Right. And and one of the things, uh, you know, you talk about Kismet, uh, your your co-anchor there, she has these for her ears. I don't know anybody else in my world that has these. Okay? <laughs> we've got necklaces, we've got earrings, we've got key. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's insane. But it's, I think it's a powerful thing to show people the true size of the vestibular organ. It's small, but mighty. The Abby. Well, you know, and then and then you tell them. And, and only half of that does balance. The other heart, half is hearing. Right. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And as you know, my love for not only the morphology of what this is, but the evolution of what this is. How'd those stones get in there? How'd they get encapsulated in fluid? When you could find this stuff in single cell animals, in fish, in pigeons, in reptiles. And when I started, all we would do is we'd turn you over or we put warmer cold water in your ears. And I'm watching audiologists hook up their patients and they're clicking and doing and, and getting reports and fine tuning and, and I'm squirting water in the ear. <laughs> it is amazing. And you know what? I, when, when we started talking, I didn't realize how even applicable looking at patients and what medications or substances they might be on would be, a, you know, something that I would use in the oh. clinic until Maryland um, legalized marijuana for medicinal use. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I started having issues with patients coming in under the influence and I've had a couple of noticeable evaluations where I actually had to send the, I had after addressing what I was seeing and 
um, asking some follow-up questions. Like I had to send the patient home and say, you need to come back when you are not on anything because this is greatly affecting our evaluation. Right, and right. it's it's interesting now to see that applicable to sobriety testing and safety checks for people who drive vehicles for work and things like that. So, I mean, I hadn't even contemplated any of that until now talking to you and seeing that put into action, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. Early on when I was doing a lot of patient testing, we'd want to know what kind of medications people were on because we knew at least clinically that can confound what we're looking at. Okay. Now, typically it won't produce disconjugate eye movement. Typically it won't give you a, a pupil size that are different in both eyes, but it could affect directional preponderance issues. I mean, you know, it could have an effect on those things. So I, I sort of knew about those, but I had never been stopped before. So I never knew that cops did what they did. And it was just fortuitous that not only did this cop, who's now a co-founder with me of, of uh, you know, this company, we have Ocular Data Systems. Um, that's the plug, anybody. Okay. Ocular Data <laughs> Systems. Um, but he opened me up to people that you all just don't see. I see people that they're brought in because they did kill somebody impaired on the highway and people are looking at those eyes, which are much different than what you see in the clinic, sometimes only in intensity, but a, you know, a rapid nystagmus is a whole lot different than a slow nystagmus. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what's interesting with the uh, with law enforcement, and if I use the word cops, it's all in good. I mean, I love these guys. And when you really know what they do to keep our highways safe, when you see who's on the highways driving impaired, either intentionally or just because, yeah, you're impaired and so is your judgment. You know, it's uh, you shouldn't be doing it. Um the eye stuff is the ground truth. And I guess what our company does is start with that because we start with the video. We start with always knowing here's what happened. Now, these cops, and they've been doing this since the 70s. It's case law. It's international. It's done every day. They're looking for things like nystagmus. They're looking for things that uh, would indicate no matter what's going on, this guy needs a doctor. Because, you know, if you start seeing disconjugate anything, you know, whatever the guy's on, no matter what it is, jail is not the right place for him to go right now. You know, smooth smooth pursuits and gaze holding, all of that. Right, right. And the cops have a systematic way of doing it. And and like I say, um, uh, it's been around a long time. It's based on opinions. And one of the things that... uh, as, as many numbers as our medical systems spit out so that ENT and neurologists can make decisions on ocular motor results and so on, the more technology or numbers that these law enforcement people would use, the more that it would be the equipment that would be challenged, not the opinion of the trained and certified person. So one of the reasons why they don't hook someone up to all this stuff to do it is because they got to do it down and dirty and quick and so on and so forth. 
And so we make stuff and it's, uh, you know, like two thirds of the states have our equipment and it, it adds a ground truth evidence. And uh, no matter what my feeling is, no matter what the laws are, whatever, just don't drive impaired. And, and, and I'm not even talking about just from illegal drugs. I'm mm -hmm. talking tired people or I'm talking people that, uh, it, you know, take, you know, there's so many drugs that tell you don't drive. Mm -hmm. Right, that they're you know, actually prescribed. Right. I mean, so uh, I view everything as if you're if you're a school bus driver, would I want you picking up my kids? From what I know, would I feel comfortable if someone said, hey, you, you know, it's not illegal. I mean, you have a pain pill, you had your knee operated on and so on. But driving's a privilege. I don't think that what I see in your eyes and so on. And we have videos, you know, uh, if, if we have time and want to show yeah. some stuff um, of where picking up ocular motor changes as an indicator of brain impairment is what workplace wants right now. They don't want to know what you did four days ago. They just want to know that when you show up to work, that you're fit for duty. And um, it looks like, especially because marijuana being legal, but marijuana impairment cannot be detected from, uh, from bodily fluids, saliva, blood, urine, hair. But it For looks in that like moment. Can, yeah, 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 because that's all they want to yeah. know. Not, you know, it's, it's not a lifestyle thing anymore for the workplace. Yeah. And so for your audience, nystagmus has taken me from dizzy people to workplace safety. Which kind of brings us to what you're doing now. So the project that you're doing with the ocular data systems is you've created this device that'll measure a patient's baseline. You have a test that it runs a patient through, like a set of goggles, right? Like kind of like similar to the Oculus Rift type of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they put that on and it puts them through a series of ocular motor tests and it will gauge a baseline when they get hired. And then before they go out, theoretically, before they go out and they start their shift, they do their same two minute test where all the, the conditions are standardized. Like the light is the same. The test is the same. And you can compare what they were from baseline to what they were that day. So I think you actually have a really great clip that you can um, show us. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah, let's uh, run that because I, I found it really interesting. Really, really interesting. Okay, I mean, so I have to share. definitely change the entire workplace, right? Especially as more and more states become legal with recreational marijuana. Absolutely. So I'm going to add your... Yeah, thing our thing is workplace safety. We're, it's not uh, what you do or whatever. And I'm going to start, I'll start with this piece of video first. And this will show you the kind of eye movements early on while we're recording. Uh, alcohol or any other kind of CNS depressant, you do gaze testing, as you know, and you can generate gaze nystagmus. Now, what we know is the more drunk you are, the closer to your nose it occurs and so on and so forth. But just the presence is enough for me. With marijuana, the same light, and this is in total darkness, obviously. Light doesn't change, but the pupil escapes or what they call rebound dilation. Wow. Narcotics is simple. You're in the total darkness. You should have a dilated pupil. You would not want this person picking up your kids, especially at dusk going through a tunnel. He's blinded. Things like inhalants, PCPs, uh, the ocular motor system, uh, whether it's triggered from vestibular 
situations or just brain impairment. This is non-invasive. I'm not taking urine, blood, uh, saliva, or anything. And at the same time, we're looking at eye position. We're also looking at pupil size. Well, it's a lot of what we do as a physical therapist, right? You know, somebody can come in with a ton of testing, but I want to see what the patient looks like functionally that day. How do they function? I want to watch them walk across the room and what their eyes look like moving during certain tests. This is right along the same thing. Yeah. Now here uh, you can see this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the person, you know, it's, it, it's more like a three minute test, but what they're doing is they're following our proprietary test and they're in the dark and they're following and we do some smooth pursuit and other tests. And then we'll get to things like pupil constriction, dim light, and then a brighter light. Okay. And we're looking at that like 80 times a second. Okay, in a non-invasive, totally, uh, you know, uh, medical CPT code, not just some lab rep like myself thinking he has a better mousetrap. This is the kind of testing that we do. So now here's basically in video what, what we mean. If you have a person's baseline and then at any point in time you want to test them for whatever reason, and drug testing has reasons and they're written down and, and so on. And they have special doctors that are involved. Drug testing is about a $6 billion a year problem, workplace uh, safety issues, loss of life, loss productivity, sick days, workman's comp. And the whole drug testing thing was all they had, but inherent in that is knowing what you do on your own time. And maybe for some things that's important, for most things people know it's not, it's getting to be in law and they don't have a great way to do it. And we think that this is a much better way. Now, what I'm gonna show you, this person, okay, because our test is always the same, the computer knows how to line it all up and look at everything the same time. Now, it doesn't take an MD or PhD to know something's up pupil size already you can just notice just yeah. without even playing anything yeah. right something's up something's up enough i don't want you driving the school bus picking up kids i want to find out what's wrong maybe you're having a stroke uh maybe you took too much of a prescription medication by accident um you know who knows it's safety i'm not looking to bust this person I'm looking for safety in the workplace. Health and safety uh, is a very positive thing. I mean, it's real. There are people that come to work intentionally impaired, have accidents, kill people. And uh, this is, instead of having a cop standing at the door having to do this, this is a cop in the box. Yeah. Now, what's so cool about this, again, is that this is not measuring what you did over the weekend on your own time. This is measuring how your performance is or level of impairment is in real time yeah. on the job when you arrive. As long as you're not hung over. I mean, whatever it is, if your brain can't do smooth pursuit and control your pupils, then for whatever reason, 
You know, you're uh, you're not metabolizing your alcohol the way that you used to. You know, not a good day for you to go in. It's a safety thing. Then don't pick up kids. And the company has rules that says, hey, if you tell us because we can look at your eyes, we'll have it. You know, just look in because you have it next. You have it next to your uh, your bed there. Uh, You know, it's a self look in it, it. It'll test you. It'll send me your results through the cloud. You know, we got our medical review officers. It's it's not a good day for you to do what you got to do. Now, who do you want unimpaired in your life and when? Now, is this something that you have been studying uh, with current use? Is there anybody currently using your system and trying well, it with yeah, officers? No, you, yeah, you're, you're basically saying like if you admit me, what, about 40 years ago with infrared video, you're seeing the beginning, okay? <laughs> but, the, but the beginning just means, uh, you know, for some it's the beginning, beginning. You know, we've just completed a, a, a three-year study at the University of Colorado on, on impaired drivers using the most advanced driving simulators and eyes and so on and so forth. So it's not the beginning, beginning, but it's the beginning of the workplace to realize it looks like there is a solution mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, to the issue of impairment. Um, the reason why it's on your show and everything, that's my, you know, it's my path. I didn't come in because I own pizza restaurants somewhere and now I'm onto this deal, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it definitely is a new frontier leading into something that we're going to see a lot more of, I think. Right. And vestibular and vestibular people are going to have to know, well, what's not an organ, what's more central, when do we uh, intervene and so on, it's going to be more focused on eyes because eyes are the ground truth. Eyes are the window. Yeah. Um, can we go back just a bit? I'm, I'm really interested. I've never experienced a sobriety test. What exactly are cops, what tests are they doing with the eyes? Like go through the, go through the gamut for us. Well, yeah. Okay. Hold on. I'm coming back to you there. Okay. There we go. Uh, The DRE program. Okay. Let's just start there because some of our stuff is more proprietary. You've all seen this. Yeah. You've seen it on cop shows. Okay. He's doing smooth pursuit for anyone that's asked or not watching. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. Smooth pursuit. Okay. They're doing gaze nystagmus angle of onset. They're taking their flashlights and, and, and shining it in your eyes. On the road, cars are going by with their lights on. You got optokinetic. You got a big, uh, you know, street light above you that's like constricting your pupils, but the meth is trying to open your pupils up. But it's the best they got. But that's what they do. And then, you know, the walking, you know, you've seen all this. All this is public domain. Okay. It doesn't mean every part of that is as good as when you can hook up, control 80 times a second. You may not need a whole lot of the rest to get to the same yes, no. So you said that two thirds of the state's law enforcement are using your system? Yeah. Now we have two systems. Okay. People that go to the website. The DAX is handheld by these drug recognition experts. So while they're testing that suspect at roadside, 
they have evidence of what they're looking at at that point in time because two hours later when they take the suspect to the jail, alcohol is different, mm -hmm. cocaine is different, aneurysm may be different, but this is what they saw and recorded and they're finding when you play that to judges and juries, they don't have to understand this cop talking about jiggling eyes. Makes you sense. Take See, seeing is believing. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you have another, this other system that you have is the system. And then, because yeah, in the workplace, they don't want the cop, but they, they want something. And so right now that drug recognition expert program, besides being effective enough for highway use, and besides having case law behind it so that legal processes and all that kick in for drug testing, if you want to know impairment right now, unless your supervisor, you know, is in your slurring and stuff like that, but, you know, pilots are getting on plays after 19 rum and cokes and no one's finding them. That's the eye would be the eye would be there. Yeah. So it's not invasive. It's not looking at lifestyle. You, you know, we're not bad because we want safety. It helps you, me, our kids, our grandkids. Safety is okay. That's all yeah. we're about. Now, are you also extrapolating your your company to healthcare providers, or are you just focused on workplace and? Yeah. The only thing, personally, I'm still a vestibular physiologist. And, uh, uh, you know, it's nothing proprietary, but there, you know, the one application, well, there, there's two, you know, and whoever wants to play with it, I think it's useful. Um, the two applications are the following. One is I want to know what the nystagmus is when you're having your attack at home on your right side in bed. Now, I had an SBIR grant and I built the thing and one of the great uh, uh, Silicon Valley people, you know, had come. The House Ear Clinic at the time, um, I should give more credit, with, without the House Ear Clinic and their support and everything, all the infrared stuff uh, probably wouldn't have happened because they were the ones that sort of started me out uh, because uh, they tried to build their own system and they couldn't do it. They found my paper and so on. Uh, why did I bring that up? I brought that up. You were talking about two applications. Oh, yeah, two applications. Okay. So uh, I, I had an SBI, SBIR grant, and I made a portable VNG system so that there was videotape, a battery, a goggle. You took it home. It was cute. Okay. You take it home. You get dizzy, you open it up, you turn it on, you put it up, and it had a microphone, and you tell me I'm in my right ear down. I feel like I'm lightheaded. I feel like I'm spinning, and I'm looking at your eyes when you come back, and I see him going like this. Tells me something, okay? I never really had time to perfect that, but I would think that with telemedicine and stuff that someone could add that dimension, which I think is an important dimension, especially when someone calls you up and says, I'm dizzy, doc. Well, you could take a look right then and there. Yeah, that's okay. really cool. And definitely Second, for the okay, this, 
Yeah, the second one. When I uh, was reading about uh, newborns and everything in the last couple of weeks, y'all do a lot of clicking and everything on newborns and test their hearing early on. And then for vestibular, there's some reflexes, the Babinski and the whole deal. One time, and I think I was at Florida still, because I built a couple of things with eye tracking. One sort of funny, I'll end it with, with that one. Uh, for for newborns, it was a tiny goggle with one little camera, and the nurse could hold the baby with the baby faced out like in the in the papoose tail, right? Swaddled, and you could be on a swivel chair, and you can see the slow eye movements. That's so cool. non invasive screening thing for vestibular. That's really cool. Actually. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's very cool. Okay. So that's a cool thing. Okay. So I don't write software. I don't build stuff. I've always had talented engineers around me. And, uh, you know, so part, part of the thanks for uh, my ability to build the systems that eventually get adopted that interest people like you and your audience and so on. When I was starting out with eye tracking, it was still electrode based. And one of my first projects in grad school was those patients that uh, were in wheelchairs that they knew how to go forward, but they didn't know how to turn. So they wanted them to turn with their eyes. So, you know, hooked up a whole system and everything and could get them in the chairs and hook them up and they could go and everything. But if a nurse walked by, the wheelchair would dart to the right or to the oh. left. Okay. Now, okay, so fine. You know, so you document that. Trying to eliminate it, that was impossible. That's like brainstem stuff, you know. We could you always saw the little the little jerk, you know. It was funny. You actually so you wow. talked about something I actually wanted to hit on, which was the eye tracking portion of the software because that's really big for VNG now to be able to look at the degrees of nystagmus and looking at the mm -hmm. difference during calorics and whatnot. Um, so did you, was that something that you had to contract out and work with programmers to try to figure out how to track the pupil and use that in combo with infrared technology? Yeah. Uh, my first way of measuring nystagmus. That's a millimeter. This is how I started. Okay. Tell the Still audience what you're holding. Uh, it's a millimeter ruler so that you can take the strip charts, measure the slopes, compute the slopes and the average, get a number. And uh, yes. Well, the interesting thing about that that I like is that you know what nystagmus looks like on the charts and you can know what is truly nystagmus, what's not. I think that mm -hmm. there is some room for error in all of the automated systems today that might measure nystagmus that's not actually nystagmus it's a, a pattern that it's kind of noticing on tracings but not necessarily true nystagmus yeah most most systems because i built them for years and people you know people bought them and so on and so forth uh they allow manual overrides you take out the bad yeah. ones and so on and so forth as long as you know and, what you're doing yeah and also unless it's probably changed and you know god i hope it's changed but we allow like a 20% difference between ears before we even think there's a problem. Yep, so, I think it's 22. Yeah, so whatever that, so it, 
uh, getting an accurate beat out of 10 seconds. You, you know what I mean? It becomes yeah. a trade-off kind of deal. Uh, not so much in the workplace. Eye tracking. Uh, I started. I started by looking at either off-the-shelf stuff, but when you get it, uh, unfortunately, I have this entrepreneurial gene thing in me that um, uh, uh, it's, yeah, well, you don't get rid of it, number one. I mean, it's always there kind of thing. So I've always followed from my beginnings of all this stuff, the technology. I always was the cutting edge. The ideas were sound enough in my ability to present to lay people is good enough that people understood. And I always work with the best along the way, which is good when you have to make these decisions. I started, I had one of the best engineers for 30 years. Uh, half of my patents are with her. And uh, she developed in uh, our own eye tracking kind of thing. Now, what became hard, and this is a, a funny story, in LA, when you're developing eye tracking, you're basically telling the computer, find that black dot. Okay. Well, what happens if it's a mole? Here. Okay. Okay. So find the black dot. And if I got a black mole, I'll take a little white out before I put them under the goggle and I'll cover that black mole. Okay. Then they started uh, in the, our Latino area, which where the house clinic was, big thick underliner thing going on. And when you have the underliner and the overliner over here at the corner, looks like a, another pupil to the computer. So true story. Uh, so I was looking around for image processing people that could tell us uh, because they were getting, uh, they started to tattoo it on there. Well, you can't put white out, you, you know, so now I got a medical system, but I got tattooed eyeliner kind of stuff. So I know I need some very heavy help. Now, Southern California, you got JPL, you got Caltech, and you had a place called the Hughes Research Lab, which was the think tank for Boeing, Raytheon, and General Motors at the top of Malibu overlooking the Pacific, the most unbelievable place in the world to have an office and look out on. Well, I knew I didn't have a lot of money, so I, I figured I'd call and see if I could get like their VP of business. I called, I told the person, hey, I'm doing stuff at the house clinic, which is this great place in LA and everything, and I have a problem. And she goes, well, I'm just a temp here. Would you like to talk to the director? And I said, yeah, I would. And so she put me through to the director and very quickly, I used the word house clinic. He knew the value of that. And he said, let me have you meet some people. Long and short, Hughes Research Lab knew how to look at rivers on Pluto. Wow. I just wanted them to tell me, how do you do it two inches away? <laughs> and, and so I worked with the best just by happenstance and luck and so on. That's amazing. So how, what has it been like to see this technology take off? Because now, 
I mean, we're super excited that this is becoming more affordable and that we have some options, whether it's micromedical, intraacoustics, vestibular first, Vesticam, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff coming out. What has it been like to see that develop? And have you been in contact with those companies? I know vestibular first because they, they're the ones that hooked us up and, and uh, got uh-huh. us int- introduced, which I'm very, very grateful right. for. But, you know, have you been keeping an eye on all of that? Yeah, I watch the field. I got a lot of colleagues that, you know, I read anything vestibular I see. And when, you know, uh, as you get older, you're getting a lot of stuff. Um, uh, What's fulfilling to me, uh, because I was right about infrared video, you you know, uh, the time, the time, the energy it took, you know, uh, if 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 my wife was going to really be honest and be on here many nights with her head in sewer pipe that I'm trying to light up with the thing that warms French fries at, uh, at McDonald's uh, you know, it's so it, yeah, it's gratifying. What's gratifying now saving life, you, you know, vestibular stuff. It's uh, 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 I love the science of the ear. I love all that stuff. Uh, and now my quest is, I can really leave a legacy by contributing to, you know, workplace safety. Very excited about that. I'd say yeah. it's very safe to say that you are truly a vestibuloholic with the yeah, yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am with you. One who likes margaritas, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> Just won't get behind a wheel after uh, no, no, Well, no, no, but I know. See, I, people always say, hey, can we test it out? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One time, one time I had people coming back because you're always hustling for money and and people uh, before I knew, before the attorneys told me, never test a person unless you're going to test a person. And I had some guy come up and it was a promotional thing for stock market stuff and so on. And he looked in and although the buzzers weren't turned on, on you know, they're buzzing. I'm seeing now if he leaves. Wow. If he leaves and has an accident, I got a problem. So I, you know, but people always want to test it out. They wanted me to test racehorses. Wow. Could, could, could steroids be detected in the eye or amphetamines? Applications among lots of different levels. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Industries. yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, Ron, Go ahead, Abby. Where can we find you online? What is your website for your company? Okay, uh, www.oculardatasystems.com. Any questions of ocular that one might have, just info at oculardatasystems.com. Someone has something they want to ask me personally, Ron Waldorf at AOL. There you have it. And let me tell you, Ron is a full of knowledge, like all our guests, but he will just go on and on and teach you and teach you and teach you <laughs> email. It's uh, awesome. We thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but also corresponding us the way you have and hope that it continues. Very good. It's my pleasure, really. And good luck with your show and your podcast. And and uh, I'm going to show, you know, I did this partly to show my grandkids what Poppy's really about. And so, <laughs> you know, I want a copy and uh, we'll let our people know as well. It's great that you all do this. Absolutely. And I definitely see a, uh, another future guest spot in the future on some uh, new episodes. So we'll be hearing from you again. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos. 
blogs, continuing education classes, and resources including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPMBV treatment charts. Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.